Before the start of the 2015-16 US college tennis season, our new coach arrived to take over the men's and women's team. Jeff Brands not only proved to be a game-changing coach for myself, he also became a personal friend and remains so to this day. Through this friendship, I also met Jeff's then-girlfriend and now-wife, Shirin Tinati, and in getting to know her, I also got to know more about her remarkable story. Member of the Actors Studio in New York, professional photographer and cancer survivor, Shirin's outlook on life is truly inspirational. Shirin talked about how she faced her toughest battle, how she told the story of that battle on video, and about her life and career since thankfully winning that fight. Discovering how the various layers and events in her life have overlapped and led her to where she is today, as well as how she's been inspired by the people around her, really was something very special for me. And it's a real privilege to be able to share Shirin's story with you on one of the eight. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, be strong, don't don't shed a tear, you know, whatever. But when you put a coat of armor on, you're not feeling anything. I think strength is really being in the moment and owning what you're going through. I'm Jake Worley, and this is one of the eight. Bringing you the real life stories of real world people. The things they have achieved and the things that have inspired them. Hi everyone, today we have the chance to hear from an artist, an actor and a conqueror and believe it or not, that's all the same person. Our guest today, Shirin, is one of those people whose presence just kind of lights up a room and is made even more powerful when you consider some of the darkness that she's overcome. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Shirin to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. To give a little bit of context, Shirin's boyfriend at the time and now husband used to be my coach out in America. And he is still the head men's and women's tennis coach at my old university. And the relationship between a player and coach is often quite difficult to get right. But when I first met Jeff, I knew straight away that I had a great coach and a friend for life. And we went for a couple of dinners together. And that's where I first met today's guest, Shirin. And it was during those meals, plus some of of my coach's stories, that I first learned about Shirin and became fascinated by your story. Mm. So... As I mentioned in the beginning, you're an actor and an artist and a photographer. Yeah. Well, I started acting in high school and fell in love with it. And that's what I pursued in college. And I was lucky enough to get uh, professional work while I was in college. So that brought me to New York and I acted for a few years and it was still a love of mine. And I decided to go to graduate school and studied it and still acted. I'm a member of the actor studio. I'm, you know, member of the unions, all of that. But by accident, one day I was on a photo shoot as the makeup artist and long story, very short, the photographer ended up not wanting to continue. So I picked up the camera and started shooting. And to be be honest, I don't, I don't even barely recall what happened next within six months I was a photographer that's what I was doing for a living and I haven't looked back since wow yeah this was almost 20 years ago so so have you you've been in some films um, yeah I've done I've done a couple but nothing really notable um I've done mostly stage work so that's been okay. my, that's been, you know, the bulk of what I've done acting wise, you know, the most recent one I've done was a original piece directed by Estelle Parsons at the actor studio. 
And before that I did, um, I did, I still act, acted during these 20 years of photography because of the relationships and connections I've made. So people will ask me if I have the time and availability, then I'll be in a production. I did, um, at Barrow Group, I did uh, Italian-American reconciliation, and I'm still open to doing things. I just, you know, my photography has me pretty busy, so I don't pursue it as much. But if things come to me, I definitely love being involved still. Okay. Yeah. And the the groups, kind of the societies, I guess, if that's the right word, that you're parts of in New York, what does that involve? The The acting groups yeah okay well the um i'm a member of the actor studio and the actor studio is um it's a little bit tough to explain because it's not a school or um anything like that it's a you know it started with a group theater and it um it grew into what it is now based on you know the elia kazan robert um i mean Marlon Brando, Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, that's where Streetcar Named Desire, that's where all of those plays were born. And it's been a group of actors, directors, and writers who basically just get together to create. And that's where, you know, those are the legendary members now. You know, the people who run the studio are Al Pacino and Ellen Burstyn and we it's a very difficult audition process to get in and basically all you do is you just work it's not about performing it's not about it's about just um you know ever since wow when I, I should know the year it started but ever since the 40s you know session has been going on twice a week you know, and we go, um, wow. we, we bring things we want to work on. We bring things we want to approach. Um, it's, it's a very, very tough thing to explain. It's not a paid thing. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just, um, an extreme honor to, you know, my life will always, I'll always have that as one of the things in my life that I'm a member of this group of actors and directors that, you know, you kind of have to, achieve a certain level of artistry to be able to be part of this group so yeah so, i mean yeah. that's that's an impressive group of people to be it, it in is. and amongst and working everything with yeah you know it is it really is and um i jeff got a taste of it when i did it when i did the last piece so and he kind of became buddies with Estelle Parsons, I think. So it was, oh, wow. yeah, you know, everybody loves Jeff. Everybody kind of takes him in. So. Yeah. <laughs> so It's hard not to like Jeff. Oh, it is. It is. And Jeff's, uh, Jeff's uh, the tennis coach that you were talking about earlier, my husband. So. Yes. <laughs> um, I had, when I was doing a little bit of research mm-hmm. on you, it was actually, well, it was quite funny because when Jeff first came to the university mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we were getting to know him a little bit better and then we found out he had a girlfriend, obviously, which was you. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the first things that I don't know how they found out, one of the guys on the team said, yeah, you know, Jeff's girlfriend, she's on IMDb. <laughs> and I thought um, it's kind of when Wikipedia first started. Yeah you kind of felt oh, like you, you've made it if you've got your yeah. own Wikipedia page. And I guess IMDB is like, oh, wow, if they've got their own IMDB page, you know, they must be going places. Does it feel that way to you that you're like, I have my own page on that? You, you know, it, it, I, I'll be honest, it is kind of cool. <laughs> um, I, I, 
but you know what? I once I started shooting, things didn't add to it as much. But yeah, l- listen, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh no, it's nothing. I think I think <laughs> things are cool, and yeah, I think it's cool. You know, a lot of people can. Um, you know, it's usually something that should be made for you, like a, a production. Like you, you can't just go make one out of nowhere. So okay. it was really cool. The day I found that I had one was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was a funny little moment that I thought, I wonder if Shirin kind of feels what everyone thinks that must feel like. <laughs> what is it about acting that you enjoy so much? You know, it's it's so funny because, um, oh, this is a question my one of my professors asked when I was 22. And I said, and I, you know, sometimes when someone asks you a question, you don't know the answer yourself until you come to say it, you know, and like the moment you're answering it is the moment you realize yourself why. And he asked me that. And I just remembered saying immortality. I'm like, it's the only way in your one lifetime that you can genuinely experience other lifetimes. You know, oh, wow. and, okay. and yeah, so, and that's what it's been. And it's like, you know, and it's also like, you know, kind of being like Indiana Jones and exploring and you don't have to pay the consequences, you know, and I don't mean yeah. that to be like uh, in a, a irresponsible way, but it's, you can really, really explore. It takes a lot of work though. A lot of people think, oh, you're pretty, you should be an actor or, you know, I hear that from a lot of clients but if you genuinely, genuinely master the craft and mastering the craft is accepting that you're never going to master the craft. You're always a student and just genuinely committing to exploring, creating, researching tons of time back in the day in the library. And now I guess on the internet and diving into these worlds and these experiences, like there's nothing more magical. Oh God, this question's making me want to go do it again. <laughs> Yeah, right after we finish this, I'm just going to go and see what I could do to dive back in. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. If you leave your vanity at the door and do it to really create a life, then then it's pretty spectacular. Wow, yeah, that, that's a really fascinating way of looking. I've never even considered <laughs> it that way. It's interesting. <laughs> um, so separate to your acting, you're also, I mean, in an from a non-biased perspective, an incredibly talented photographer. Oh, and it's fair you. to say you specialize in, is it it's headshots and dancers? Yeah, yeah. The headshots, actors and dancers. But the last few years, Gino, uh, ever since my book, just people, you know, I just love capturing people. But when it comes to a career that supported me, uh, up until recently, it's been actors, dancers, authors, musicians, singers so performers yeah okay and what do they kind of what are the clients what do they come to you for I mean if I before I kind of knew a little bit about what you do Uh I wouldn't understand what they need kind of what the headshots involves really okay well you know whenever you're a performer you have to go and audition to get work so whether it's an open call where they put it in the in the trade magazine that they're looking for certain type of singer certain type of actor and you have to submit a photo and that photo is the photo I make, I, I take. And they have to send a photo that really is engaging, that really shows off a side of you because you have to understand that hundreds of photos get sent in for each role, for every audition. 
So every role and every audition. So okay. you're looking at hundreds of photos. So, you know, they have to stand out. They have to have a sense of vulnerability to them. So that's what I take. Um, and it's gotten much more intricate now because back in the day when everything was on film and it wasn't so much the digital age, you only needed one and you would print it and on film and then you would make copies of that one and you hand deliver it or hand send it for these auditions. You know, you put it in an envelope old fashioned way, but now because everything is a digital submission, each actor needs a lot of different ones, you know? So uh, it's, it's a much more, you know, the job is definitely become much more faceted, you know, for different, because one person can play so many different roles, you know, and you have to figure out what's the range of the actor. And then you, you're like, okay, let me design a shoot that's going to represent him in all these ways. So he gets called in for specific auditions that he would be good for. Okay. With the dancers, what is it that you're, what do they come to you looking for? What is it that you're trying to capture for for them? For dance, you know, uh, it's it's interesting because it's a newer thing. I started shooting them before it was a thing, whenever I had an actor who danced. But now what I find that that's really important for dancers to capture is the charisma, you know, in their movement. And it's... um, Yes. You know, because if a dancer goes on a dance call, they have to, like if an actor goes on a audition, they can bring their monologue, they can bring the thing that they specialize in. But with a dancer, they have to literally go and um, dance that routine that they have planned for them, right? So they have no no way to show anything that right. they do on their own. But in that photo, we can capture a uh, sense of cheekiness, character, sophistication, because I'll, I'll capture them in a, in a, either a posture or a leap or, or any kind of um, execution of movement that really brings out their personality. And we style it and we make it almost like a, like a still from a film. I mean, that's one thing I would say is the most kind of obvious first thing I notice with your photography is that You've got this kind of amazing ability to catch oh, thank you. movement and energy in these photos. I guess, that, I mean, how have you kind of learned these skills to, to be able to do that? You know, I was a director and that's what I studied in school and acting and directing. And looking back in hindsight, I've been obsessed with photos. Like even as a teenager, I'd go to someone's house. I'd want to look at their family albums and, you know, that could sound kind of creepy, but... I don't know. I was always fascinated. And when I was directing plays in college, you know, this was actually very expensive. This was back in the film days. I would do one hour photo while I'm, while my cast was rehearsing, I would take stills. I would take, because I wanted to capture moments that I would otherwise miss if, if, you know, I didn't shoot it. So all my money went two one hour photo- photos to develop those rolls of film and I'd look through them. <laughs> so, you know, I don't plan a shoot, you know, when I started shooting, I directed the actor like a director. And I think that's how I still do it. I don't pose people. I don't say, Oh, okay. Give me a smile this okay. way. You know, I direct them and I just capture and it's, uh, I, I guess there's skill, 
but I don't think I'd be able to tell you exactly, okay, first I do this, then I do that. I just, um, I just connect with a story right, okay. and I direct the story and the images, I guess, are a byproduct of that. And the, uh, um, what, what's well, the book I, that you mentioned? I published a book when I was sick with cancer. I actually started it when I was sick and I, it was finished a year after my recovery. So, and I come from a family where no one has ever had anything. Yes. You know, no one has had cancer, died, nothing, nothing. Okay. And I was, you know, I was an athlete. I was, um, I was actually heavy in doing triathlons at the time. I never smoke, barely drink, you know, just eat very healthy. So it was a big shock. And <clears throat> I never, you know, I always explained to people, including Jeff, that it was like I was standing facing the ocean. And it was this beautiful, beautiful sunny day in a calm ocean. And I turned my back. And seconds later, yeah. a tidal wave knocked me down. It was that, you know, it's, it was really, really unsettling. And then we went on the hunt for a surgeon. You know, we just didn't know what to do. So we just started following advice of go see this person, go see that person. And when I, we went to this one surgeon's office and we were, um, okay waiting for her to call us in and we saw a photo book on the table in the waiting room and it was just awful it was somebody who had no connection to breast cancer and it was a gentleman and this isn't anything against men but it was uh significant in this because it was just a photo book where the subject was women with mastectomy scars and it you know all power to anyone who wants to express themselves in any way, shape or form. But the images were horrific. They were gritty and edgy and they were, uh, the women weren't flattering. They looked defeated and I got physically sick looking at them. And, um, I do think the women were exploited in this book. That's my opinion. Um, and I never thought I'm going to do a book. Um, And then, you know, the weeks went on and my, you know, figuring out what to do was falling into place. And then this woman, while I was about to start getting chemo, this woman um, was really trying to be nice and she was lovely. She said, you know, honey, don't worry. In a year, we're going to welcome you into the sisterhood of survivors. We'll celebrate that. You'll be a survivor. And I thought to myself, uh, what if I don't survive, you know? We, I have to wait to survive to be celebrated. Yeah. We don't celebrate now, you know, and a lot of women actually die and a lot of women. So, yeah. they, so we own survival is measuring whether we get to celebrate ourselves. And that always sat wrong with me because you have a lot of women who fight like gladiators and they don't survive. And you have other women, you know, unfortunately they feel sorry for themselves. They just, you know do nothing and they do survive, that shouldn't be a mark of valor. Survival or not has nothing to do with that. So all these thoughts one created a spark of me one day saying, okay, you know what? And it was during chemo, it hit me. I was, and I was really out of it because they give you this thing to kind of relax you. And I'm like, oh God, I need to make a book. And I'm like, I need to make okay. a book. I need it that day when I was in the doctor's office. So And it immediately came to me that I want to photograph a book of women who are in treatment 
because that's what women like me and other women like me would uh, respond to because we can't see further ahead as survivors. So I created a book called I Am Warrior, and it is women in certain uh, stages of treatment during cancer. And I depicted them as literary, historical, mythical warriors. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting book. Wow. You know, you meet them as themselves and then it's, it's it's visual and written. written. I wanted my, it, my opinion, any art, the purpose of any art is connection. Art is the, I don't believe in shock art. I don't believe in, you know, um, look at how creative I could be. I think the purpose of all art is to make people connect and not feel alone. So the first thing, um, I don't, it wasn't very creative writing because the first page of each character of each woman, I asked them the same questions, you know? So these are questions that the answers might help someone else. And then the second page where they're depicted as warriors, um, okay. is basically the most difficult book report that I hated in high school, I had to do 22 of them. It's basically for you to learn about the warrior that they're representing. <laughs> but it was really interesting. I still, you know, I forget okay. what, what I researched and I'll go and I'll flip through it. And I'm like, oh my God, this warrior was so cool. <laughs> so that's what it is. I mean, one thing that obviously mm-hmm. what you were diagnosed with obviously is it's as it's the worst thing I'd, I'd imagine possible in life. It's one of the yeah. toughest things anyone can ever go through. But you actually yeah. started a video mm-hmm. blog um, at the time, kind of depicting the journey from that horrible kind of moment of being diagnosed to yeah. your incredible end result of overcoming it. And I watched through your videos. And the one thing, and I mean, I think it's a, it's a combination of things to watch. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly hard watch mm-hmm. to see kind of physically. the changes that happen yeah. to you both physically and mentally, but it's also one of the most inspiring things to watch. And there was one thing that I noticed you said in the yeah. first video where you kind of announced it to people, you said, this is mm-hmm. this part of my life. I'm going to live out loud. I was, when I got diagnosed, I saw a lot of different things on YouTube, you know, cause we all are looking for inspiration and most of what I saw was either overly sugary, like women acting like, oh, everything's fine. Like I saw this woman who was obviously in treatment, um, doing trapeze and, you know, things like that, like life is just normal. And that made me feel like, okay, that if I can't do that, does that mean I'm going to die if I can't go do a trapeze act? Or it was very grotesque and very dark, which made me right. scared. So I figured, look, I'm in an industry where, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in corporate America. It's okay if people know that I'm sick, you know, and I don't have any children and I don't have any. Yes. Like my my life is in the perfect position where I can honestly share what I'm going through without trying going for the shock or without trying to show, look at how beautiful cancer can be. You know what I mean? I could be genuinely honest and it's not going to affect my kids. Yes. It's not going to affect my job. So I thought that that was actually kind of um, my duty because I had the luxury to be able to show it. And that's 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 what the okay. choice was about. 
And there's there's sure. a moment um, I'm going to kind of walk you through things that I saw that just amazed me as I went through it. The next thing that I saw was um, you had hold of a camera in one of the videos, and you said, "This yeah. thing right here is going to be my greatest medicine." And was that? Did you find that photography was? Did it? You know, did it act as a, a distraction? I guess, or was it something that you felt you know, was truly I, um, making a difference? I I knew it was it was because I had when I made that video, I had already been diagnosed. I just wanted to wait until I knew what what how bad it was and what the course of treatment was going to be. And um, I remember at the very beginning thinking, if I if I can't work, I can't breathe. You know. And the oncologist said, I said, can I work? And it, and yeah. it felt like forever. And I was so nervous to ask that question, you know, and she's like, no, you can, I want you to work. You love what you do. It's going to really, really help. So, so it was, it was, I guess I thought it would be a good distraction. And at times it was, but what it did was, because I would get really sick. The one thing I had to do is as soon as I worked, I had to go to bed. I couldn't, even if I felt okay, I couldn't leave. I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything else. But it made me right. realize how much I love my job because here I was, you know, bald. My Like your skin hurts when you're on chemo. Like if the wind blows on it, it, it like hurts. It's not a very comfortable situation. I did some of my best work. And at the end of every shoot... I'm like, God, I love my job. God, I love, this is what I was meant to do because <sighs> I would, I was still, I couldn't have, I couldn't imagine being, you know, when you first get diagnosed and you see what your course of treatment is going to be, you, you don't think that you're going to be excited to go to work during this time, but I would get excited. I would, right. it was something wonderful to have in your life still that it, like the cancer and the illness became a part of my life, didn't become my life. Because I still worked and I got to interact with people and I got to create moments for people. And so it was just this bad, this difficult thing that was a part of my life. It wasn't all of it. So working and it, it was a constant reminder that this cancer isn't defining you. You're a photographer, you're a friend, you're a, you know, but it was, it was, wow. it was my my medicine it was my mentor it was you know it was like a guiding spirit of some sort i it's i think no matter how comfortable like a bed could be or your surroundings could be when your soul is kind of what your heart needs comfort first and i guess um this is obviously this is something that's just you know to overcome uh -huh. mentally just as well as physically it's it's an equal challenge i would think and you said in one of your videos, yeah. the only way to get over discomfort is to live in it. You see movies growing up and you hear stories of people crying in the bathroom when they finally have to shave it off. And I just, um, you know, when, when I found out I was going to lose my hair, I don't know if you saw photos, but I had like big, huge JLo hair down to the middle of, you know, past the middle of my back. And, and you know, and yes, I, I did. <laughs> when I heard that I started the goodbye process then, and it was, of course, it's devastating and it was really, it's just devastating, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not going to do this alone, crying in a bathroom or have a friend shave it over the sink. This is something I have to face. So, you know, and you have no choice. The whole, the most 
difficult part of the cancer was you didn't have a say in any of it. And I didn't have a say in whether I was going to lose my hair or not. This was happening to me. So I really was searching for things that I had a say and I had a say in how I did it. Let's turn this into a party. Let's, and I want people laughing and, you know, of course people were laughing and crying, but I want people by my side celebrating my life as I do this. Yeah. It, it's, it's an incredible video. I mean, for our listeners that to watch it is just, oh, thank it, you. it really thank you. makes the hairs on the back of your neck yeah, stand up. <laughs> and one thing you said that you said, yes. it's important to give yourself permission to kick and scream and quiet. Yeah. Sorry. to kick and scream exactly. and cry your way through because that's what strong people do. They own their emotion. They own yeah, up to their yeah. feeling. And I yeah, guess you truly you know, did that here. When I got here. sick, I set an alarm on my phone um, at the very beginning. And I said, okay, you could do whatever you want for these two days. You can break dishes. You can scream. You can eat all the haagen in the world that you want. Uh, but once this alarm goes off, <laughs> you need to get up and, and figure this out. What are you going to do? What's your role? And um, yeah, and... It's, you know, it's easy, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, be strong, don't, don't shed a tear, you know, whatever. But when you put a coat of armor on, you're not feeling anything. I think strength is really being in the moment and owning what you're going through, because that's the measure of a person is being knocked down and how you get up and whether you get up, not, not being um, protected with a coat of armor that it's holding you up but actually saying, okay, I'm a vulnerable, amazing, strong, flawed human being. And this thing is, I'm in the ring with this thing and it's knocking the crap out of me. Okay, how am I going to fight when I fall this way? How am I going to get up when I fall that way? How am I going to get up? When do I need to choose to stay down for a while? You know, that's, that's strength. I'm so, I have so many amazing people in my life and my life isn't just about me. There are people who love me. There are people who would be affected by me not surviving, by me suffering. You owe it to everyone in your life to take care of yourself. It's really, um, you know, the other thing, this is something that happened that actually set me on my course. I had a, a friend who was, who got sick a year before I did. And she turned into this selfish that it was just, you know, she just was miserable to be around. And she was this person I love very much and wonderful heart. Right. But she came and um, she made everybody just like bow down to her. And she kept saying things like, why me? Why not her? I'm a better person than her. I was in shock. And I'm like, what are you doing? What, why? Like this bitterness and ugliness came out and this was a person I loved, you know, and I thought very highly of. And Jake, I'm not lying. The moment I got the diagnosis, yeah. my first fear wasn't dying. My first fear was, oh, my God, am I going to turn into her? And that made me realize that, you know what, wow. I owe it to the women in my life to set a, to set a good example. Because I don't want, if God forbid somebody else gets, someone in my circle gets sick, I don't want them to be like, oh my God, am I going to turn into that? I'm, I want them to be like, oh, she did it. I can do it too. Right. I mean, this is all part of, I'm always fascinated kind of 
trying to understand the the people that we get on here, trying to understand mm-hmm. their thought process kind of whilst they're going through the struggles that they've gone through. And I think probably the video I was most fascinated by is the one mm. that you titled Dear Body, I Love You. I think it'd be very yeah. easy, I guess, to kind of be angry at the situation and be angry at your body, but instead you get, you yeah. turned it in an opportunity yeah. to and show it, yourself you know, more love. It's still... Um it really makes you realize how hard you are on yourself of aging of your weight of what you can do that you no longer could do. It's almost like you put this, uh, you put this pressure on your, um, on yourself and on your body. And when you go through something like this, you start to see it as a different thing. It's like your two beings, your, your body and your soul. And, you're like, wow, you know, I was watching my body like physically fall apart, but I kind of got to have this out of, <laughs> out of body experience and watch how valiantly it was fighting, you know? And I was like, wow, you're saving my okay. life. You know, you're literally saving my, the life of my soul, <laughs> I guess. So it really, you know, I still, whenever, look, it, it in my opinion, surviving cancer or surviving any kind of horrific thing doesn't give you rose-colored glasses. Oh, now you know what the true meaning of life is. No, I'm still a human being with insecurities, with with rage, with love, with all of that stuff. But I keep going back to that. And whenever I'm having, whenever I'm not on center as I would like to be, I'll go back and say, okay, you know what? You need to ease up on yourself. Look at what, look at what you did. Look at what the body did look at what the human body is capable of yeah i mean it's a i mean for, yeah. um, it's a fantastic way to look at it um and you know the, the good yes. news is you you have yes. managed to get through it and come yes. out the other side all thank guns blazing you. thank you thank you so you congratulations know, I'm, I'm for lucky. that <laughs> another thing i'd like to touch on is i remember uh-huh. we went yeah. we went for dinner at an asian restaurant in new jersey one day and you and Jeff were telling me about mm-hmm. um, this place in France that you go to. And I was just absolutely blown yeah. away behind kind of the science of this place. I have a very rare disease that was a result of the radiation treatment I had to have for cancer. And basically about two, three years after the cancer, okay. after my recovery, and we didn't know what it was, but it looked like a bruise on my leg. We just thought it was a bruise and I'm clumsy and um, that's what it is. Uh, but it wasn't fading. So, and it took a while for them to diagnose it. Basically, my body all of a sudden freaked out and it thinks that my body is still being radiated. Now, I was only radiated in the chest area, but it's attacking like my legs, my back, my arms, you know. it's So when there's nothing there to kill, it starts killing right. the tissue. So it's a skin disease. It's a type of scleroderma, but that's why it's rare because all of a sudden it's just thinking that it's the entire body is being attacked instead of just that region. So I um, didn't want to take a medi- the medication, the only medication to, um, there's no cure uh, to manage it because it was a chemo pill that you take for the rest of your life. And the doctor, all of a sudden at Sloan Kettering in New York, he's like, wait, 
do you want to go to France? And I'm like, what do you mean? Do I want to go to France? What are you talking? And I'm just like, you just basically told me my skin is being eaten away. And then, you know, so then he explained what it was and I'll try to make this really brief. He's like, look, it's natural. It's in a beautiful place. And at the very least you'll, you'll have a really great time. You know, you'll be really relaxed. So, um, I decided not to re- look into it too much because I can be skeptical. But so I got approved to go. They've been looking for someone. Uh, the disease is called radiation-induced morphia, which is what I explained to you. The body all of a sudden freaked out and it's attacking the skin. And um, yes. so I went. And basically, it's a place where there's a spring. And it was discovered in the 1700s by a royal person and had a horse who was sick with lesions the horse drank out of this spring and became was cured now this place has been a treatment center since then after that happened and in the 60s a billionaire uh named pierre fob bought it and made it what it is now and it's medically proven to treat all these skin disorders medically proven and this is the next disease they were trying to um see if it could help manage so basically it's a spring and it's basically rainwater that travels 50 to 75 years underground or wherever the area it goes it picks up certain minerals a certain blend of minerals and microbes that literally helps build new skin or the inside lining of your stomach yeah 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 it's it's unbelievable my god proven (laughs) to um cure and treat eczema, psoriasis, um, atopic dermatitis. There was this very famous woman, um, a marathoner, an ultra marathoner from Australia who got caught in a brush fire and like something like over 60% of her body was burned. She goes there. It softens scars. It really, it's life-changing for people. And all it is and it's hard to tell people because they roll their eyes or they say, oh, yeah, I went somewhere like that in Arizona. And I want to scream and say, no, there's nowhere like this in the world. Trust <laughs> me. It's, um, it's you start off in a bath with the water directly from the spring. You get massaged with the water from this spring. Um, I like everybody has a different prescription of what they do, but it's from the water coming from the spring. It's not even in a tank. Um, I get like, I feel like a prisoner of war because for some of my lesions, I go into this tiled room and the doctor hoses me down with high pressure jets. So it's like, I mean, if it wasn't inappropriate, I would like have someone film it because it's so funny because I'm shivering in the corner with these like fire hoses <laughs> of this water. And it's, it just, to me, the visual, it seems so funny, but they're, they're some of the best dermatologists <laughs> and um, surgeons and medical doctors from the entire world who come and treat patients here. Sounds like something I, from I a film. I should have sent you my blog. I wrote a blog the first year I was there. The first day I got there, I was exhausted, but the second day I woke up and I was cracking up and I'm like, Oh, come on. This isn't real. It looked like a fantasy world. It just looked like something that you couldn't imagine exists. I went for three years, one month every year. And while I was there last summer, they hired me to do, um, to do some photos and I negotiated some more treatment out of it. 
I'm like, no, you don't. I I don't. You don't have to pay me. Just I would like to keep oh, wow. coming. So okay, I, it was funny. I always remember. Um, it was such a lovely thing Jeff said that. Um, he told me that you had you know three years of this trial period, but he told you that he made uh, a promise to you that he would always make sure you could go every year. Yeah, I thought that was yes. such a lovely thing. But yeah. you've managed to uh, figure something out. So congrats on that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, I have a great husband. <laughs> um, something we always do here on our podcast, we get our one of the eight guests to share something with us that has inspired them. Sometimes it's a person or a uh-huh. book or a moment. So we'd like to know, Shirin, what uh-huh. has inspired you? Hmm. So many things. Um, well, there's always the, the one person who inspired me the most. Okay. Who's that? In, and it's, so I, I'll tell you a couple of uh, the most inspiring person for me ever since um, I was young is uh, she was a figure who she lived during Nazi Germany. Her name is Miep Geist. Okay. And she's the she's the secretary. Um, she helped hide the Frank family. Wow. And she is Christian, you know, German, and they. And what she said always stuck with me. She she said that she never allowed anyone to call her a hero. Wow. Because she said what she did was not heroic. Because to call what she did heroic is saying that other people couldn't do it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's something, it's human. It's what is in all of us to do. And that always stayed with me, you know, because the human thing to do is not heroic. Yeah. So she always was kind of like that compass for me. That thing she said when I when I read the book and you know and um and I read that in high school. So she's she's just um, has been kind of my guiding light ever since. The other people that inspire me are the most are the people I photograph. Okay. Because. You know, I'm really blessed having the most incredible people come in front of my lens. And when I see these, um, you know, these individuals who are really closed off and they come in with all of their insecurities intact and almost like there's all these layers of things that need to come down for me to get that magical photo. And watching them get there. I mean, sure, I provide a nurturing environment, but it's their choice. And these people just open up and share things with me. Just like, you know, you look at my journey as being something extraordinary. You don't know how many people like that I meet (laughs) every month. And you look at them and they're beautiful or what you would think they're perfect looking or their life seems idyllic and you see what they've been through and owning it and you know they my clients throughout the years share so much with me and you get to see the grace with which they live their lives and the way the choices they make so it's my job my career is a consistent infusion of inspiration from from the people who walk into my studio wow that's fantastic yeah yeah so that's that in a nutshell well i can't thank you enough for sharing a little bit about your life with us um i don't think it's, oh, possi- my don't pleasure. Think it's possible to um put everything that you are and have done into an hour's podcast <laughs> but i hope that we can uh 
try and get a good little snippet there of kind of who you are and just kind oh. of the inspiring way that you exist. Thank you. It's such an honor that you asked me. And I think what you're doing is so wonderful. So yeah, thank well, you. Thank um, you for making this. There's some crazy times, aren't there, in the world? And if you can come up with something that yes. um, tries to brighten people's day a little bit, then we're all for it. Well, you know what? Then allow me to add to my inspirational list, sir. You are one of them. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, honestly, Shireen, thank you so much. Okay, honey, you have a wonderful day and reach out if there's anything else you need. There are almost 8 billion people on our planet and Shireen Tinati is one of the eight. You can find links to Shireen's work and the things that have inspired her online at oneoftheeight.com. Everyone has a story to share. Everyone has something to give. Everyone can inspire. One of the Eight is a movement of real-world people from across the globe, sharing real-life stories, inspiring others, enriching lives, and giving something back. I am, you are, everyone is one of the Eight. Now streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join the movement at oneoftheeight.com.